0: My guest is Ori Hoffmelker. He is um, a person who is concerned about dieting and exercise and our body chemistry. He has degrees from uh, Bezalel Academy and Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And uh, he is also an author of a book. And let's go over and say the hello to him now. He's got the warrior diet and the anti-estrogenic diet. Nice to have you with us today, Ari. Ori. Nice to have you with us Sorry. First, let's begin by taking a look at many of the what you believe are misconceptions or fallacies about dieting.
1: Well, there are many fallacies and misconceptions regarding dieting, and the tragic part about them, they are partly true, and sometimes when things are partly true, they are very misleading. Most diets today are based on restriction of either calories or carbohydrates or fat. In many times, um, they actually teach you uh, that certain kind of food are less calorie dense and therefore more beneficial for the dieter. And statistically, when you look at diets, virtually all of them are failing on the long run to provide both weight management and health benefits. The problem with diet fallacies is not that they are so wrong. The problem is that they overlook factors which are critically important today for the dieter to understand. The goal of the dieters are to, first of all, manage a healthy weight, and second, be healthy. And as long as you don't understand the really most important influencing factor into the diet, you overlook or ignore some of them, you're in a major problem. When I wrote the Warrior Diet and the Anti-Estrogenic Diet that, I tried to bring back missing elements in diet that will help the conscious dieter to take responsible decision by uh, calculating all the important factors. Um, if you want to let me go ahead, I will just mention some of them.
0: Yes, that's. I want you to go through the fallacies.
1: Yes, the number one fallacy is that when you restrict calories, you will lose weight and eventually will sustain lean. there is a, uh indeed. A very interesting movement they called calorie restriction. They believe that lifespan increase if you restrict your calories. And basically, there is a movement by many interesting people, including researchers, who follow this diet. Unfortunately, there are serious side effects to calorie restriction. Number one, when you restrict calorie and you don't know how to do it, many people don't really know how to do it. The side effect is the loss of libido, loss of ability to up to impotence, drop in sexual hormones, drop in thyroid, severe drop in the thyroid hormone that keeps the metabolic rate normal, and dysfunctionality. Um, and there are evidence that people recently, on the last, I think, three years, they start to find evidence that there are other factors beside calorie restriction that could give you the same benefit of calorie restriction without losing your sex drive or ability to function. Um, And that's where I came with the warrior diet to show that if you really understand the timing of meal and go with your own circadian clock, you can eat actually much more calories and still benefit. The other fallacy regarding calorie restriction is that The choices of food, the choices of food are critically important. I mean, it's just saying this calorie restriction is the key element. It's just not good enough. You can have 500 calories from sugar versus 2,000 calories from nuts. And I can tell you that the nuts will make you leaner and healthier, and the 500 calories from sugar will make you fatter and sicker. So there is no direct always correlation between calories and beside one of the the next fallacy is the isolation fallacy. You cannot just take one element at a time and say that this is the key. Our body is complex. Nature is complex. We have evolved to live from food that is very complex. Mostly, yes, we are hunter-gatherer, but we are more, there is evidence, we are more gatherer than hunters. We have better mechanism to utilize plant food than meats. I'm not against animal food. I'm just saying that eating meat is not, even though we, we can kill we are predators, we are in the end of the line. So our biological system is not that complicated, but complex enough not to isolate one element after the other. So the second fallacy is the isolation. There are diets that are based only on restriction of fat. Miracle, you cut the fat, you're going to be healthy. There are diets that restrict carbs, the low carb. These are all fallacies. Both carbs and fat are critical to the body. There is a notion, for example, a fallacy, that carbs are not essential to the body. Why? Because when a body is deprived of carbs, it can still produce glucose from protein or fat. This is, again, a fallacy. We need certain kind of carbs, low glycemic, but we do need carbs applied to the body Nourish a very important metabolic pathway in the liver that produces your DNA and RNA and antioxidant, uh, endogenous antioxidant, the most powerful like luteotaiwan or SOD. It's called the pentose phosphate pathway. And when you deprive your body with extreme deprivation of carbs, such as some of the diets today, the consequence is that this metabolic pathway can be shut down. The body needs energy. And when this metabolic pathway is shut down, you age fast. You're much more prone. Your immune system is vulnerable. And you basically, again, it can shatter your sexual function, etc. So the low carb is a false. The low fat is another false. We need fat. Fat generally, obviously good fat, is extremely critical and essential for us. And I'm not just speaking about essential fatty acid i'm talking about monounsaturated fat which is abundant in plants from olive oil to nuts and seeds play a critical role in carrying nutrients and um, supporting our carrying uh, nutrients nutrients actually support our again our steroid hormone sexual hormones like plant sterols um cutting on fat drastically, can seriously, seriously impair our ability to nourish our body properly. So when I'm coming to the list of cutting calories or cutting fat or cutting carbs or isolation, you realize that all these elements are critical part, right, of virtually every diet. Another fallacy is the fallacy that say that there is some kind of a zone or some kind of a percentage between carbs fat, and protein that all humans supposed to live in, such as the zone or other kind of diets. This is, again, a fallacy. There is no proof. There is not even empirical evidence that all humans supposed to live on one ratio. In fact, there is evidence that our ratio is changing according to our condition, the weather, food supply, aging, even gender, physical activity, definitely. So to say that there is a ratio of 40-30-30 or any other ratio between protein, fat, and carbs is a fallacy. It's just not right. So that doesn't leave us many diets, Gary, today that really are clean of fallacies. uh,
0: Okay, I wanted to give you an opportunity to lay your thoughts out. Now tell us what you believe a good diet should be.
1: A good diet should be a diet that recognizes, first of all, what humans are. And humans are two things, if I'm trying to be brief. First of all, there's a lot of evidence that the human genome is basically a physically active uh, genome, show that we are a physically active species. We are will never be good to following a sedentary lifestyle. There's more and more evidence the last 10 years and before that, that shows that when we are physically active, we basically trigger certain kind of genes that benefit us by improving energy utilization, rejuvenation of tissue, not just the muscle, the brain as well, and uh, basically, we cannot go around it. We are physically active. We cannot afford a sedentary lifestyle. The second element is our nutritional element. There is evidence we have adapted to a world that do not exist anymore. We reached peak genetic development about 10,000 years ago, a period which is called the late paleolithic period, and all our survival mechanism that we carry today haven't changed at all. We carry the same genes of the late paleolithic men, the cavemen, but we live in a world that we never fully adapted to, so the key for understanding our diet is to go back and try to reintroduce the kind of food that humans have adapted to um, about 10,000 years ago and keep yourself physically active and you'll do well. One element which is missing today is also the timing of the meal. Our nervous system is built in a way that we have two kind of uh, sub-nervous system part of the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system that uh, regulate our ability to handle stress during the day, sustain alertness, create focus, burn fat, etc. There is a parasympathetic nervous system which is a nightly nervous system that keep us relaxed, alert, be able to digest, and sleep. What is becoming evidence that the sympathetic nervous system basically rejects eating large meals. And we are educated today to do the opposite. We are educated to eat large meals during the day and maybe some actually diet nutrition and diet program ask you not even to eat at all at night, which go against our biological nature. So our biologists say that we are nocturnal eaters uh, if we sleep at night, that's the time to eat, that's the time to relax, that's the time to shut and shift from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous system. We're supposed to eat during the day, but lightly. Um, there are In the warrior diet, I just show examples of groups of warrior historical warriors like the Greek and the Romans that automatically follow a diet similar to that with my opinion with great result people who managed to create amazing culture with great physical shape the sculpture and the picture that we see of them is not just a subject of imagination most likely they used to look like this so they used to eat only one main meal a day but the concept of one main meal at night is still very controversial it goes against the industry gary Uh, We were taught that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. We are blitzed with morning cereals and a lot of lunch, pre-made meals and stuff and snake and here and there. And actually the human body rejects it. Breakfast is not just the most important meal of the day, it's the worst meal of the day. When you eat a large breakfast, you start to shut down the sympathetic nervous system. And after the second or the third meal, after lunch, most people get very tired because... They actually trigger a nightly nervous system that make them ready to go to sleep. Now, the only way that you want to keep yourself up is by having more coffee. Some people take upper drugs, or they're constantly craving so exhausted to pick-me-up food that they start to binge on sweets, gain weight. So, I believe that the healthy human diet have a three principle. Number one, or healthy human lifestyle. Number one. Go down lower on the food chain. You can never go wrong with fruits and vegetables and everything which is low glycemic, legumes, nuts, seeds. It's very simple. Number two, avoid chemicals. We have never adapted to chemicals. I wrote in the anti-oxygenic diet book how devastating the effect of chemicals here on the endocrine system, on the glandular system, messing your ability to even your body ability to regulate body weight. It's a serious story by itself. So avoid chemicals. Go lower the food chain. I would say if you decide to eat animal food, the best food, I believe so, in most cases, are those that does not involve killing of animals, but rather the product of an animal like dairy or eggs. Um, We have problems with digestion of meat, but that's another story. Um I believe there is evidence, however, that humans were doing very well on marine food. And obviously the um, essential fatty acid in marine food could be very good. So lower in the food chain, avoid chemical. Third, follow this. Uh, eat in accordance with your nervous system. Follow what you inherently are. We are humans. Are nocturnal eating. Have your main meal in the evening. Supper. Breakfast was the most important meal, historical meal of the day. And I think that's the way it should be. Uh, Eat light, eat raw during the day. Go denser and heavier until you can eat your main cooked meal at night. And you'll be surprised how your body will uh, start to reshape itself better. And um, you are going to feel very alert and energetic during the day, very relaxed and well. Finally, um, definitely be active. Um, physical activity together with good nutrition is the key. Um, though I believe nutrition is the most important thing, um, physical activity together with the right nutrition, and especially during the day when you under-eat and exercise, you really trigger an amazing survival mechanism that makes you be what you're
0: Okay, well, I wanted you to lay out all your thoughts, Ori, so we could understand them. I'm going to share some of my points of view now to give a, uh, give a I consider a, a different point of view. The, I have studied extensively all over Europe, in fact, all over the world, the American diets' influence on them, their Native American diets upon their own population or elsewhere. For example, in Italy, if you go back to Cicero, in the writings, the Italians had three meals a day. The first was a liquid one, generally consisting of a kefir or fermented milk with honey and herbs in it. <clears throat> that was very common. the uh, The army actually wanted to rebel at one point when they were forced to eat horse meat, because they principally uh, survived off a vegetarian diet. Fish were available. But inland, you couldn't get fish. They would dry fish and give it to the uh, soldiers. But generally, it was grains. Now, the major meal of the day was in the early afternoon, at which then they would take about a three-hour break and then come back in the evening. Their smallest meal of the day was late at night. It wasn't early evening. It was late evening. For example, if you were to go to the countryside uh, around Verona today, uh, Naples, um Uh, Venice, not in the towns themselves which could be influenced by the uh, eating habits of tourists who have certain areas uh, of the world, different time zones they want to eat in, but the native population it's very common to see people at 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night actually having small light meals, generally a salad, soup, or salad, light pasta um, very common. Now so what this tells us is that, that they were very active historically They also did not live in a sea of toxins. Today, there's more than 100,000 man-made toxins. Many of those toxins can adversely affect the the three most important glands as far as regulating metabolism and weight, the pituitary, the thyroid, and the adrenal axis. Um, We have hormone mimickers, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, chlorine, heptachlor. We have numerous uh, uh, DDD and DDDEs, not just DDTs that adversely affect our hormones, adversely affect our uh, thyroid. They were very active. They didn't have television or radio, and a lot did not have any books. What they did have is conversation. They walked everywhere. The average person walked uh, upwards of three miles a day. Today, we walk less than about 400 yards. We're always inactive. So they were active They also, many lived in the country by the principle, you're up at uh, sunrise and you go to bed shortly after sunset. Uh, A lot of people, except for those in the cities, didn't stay up very late at night. They also believed in physical culture. The Romans developed from the Greeks the concept of the essentialness of the, the physical being in the ideal shape. So being fat in historical times was an issue uh... and so trying to keep oneself athletic or lean and strong was a part of the eros uh... ego extension so a cleaner environment fresher foods they did not have uh... storage as such except when it was dried, and the grains they were concerned about vermin back then also the rats that would get into them so they had a good sealing process that was learned by the way from the egyptians who could seal uh, all their food that was to be stored in kegs <clears throat> free of rodents when you look at the average american today we are excess in caloric intake and too little exercise the quality of the calories does matter not necessarily the amount of calories i've um, i've done over 61 major studies my latest was uh, presented at the World Congress in Anti-Aging Medicine. I was the keynote speaker just about 12 weeks ago. And the basis was I was able to show that I was able to affect genes, the actual genetic predisposition in individuals, by the quality of the diet. It was a living foods diet, a lot of raw foods, nuts and seeds, and no limitation on them, on fruits and vegetables, starchy vegetables, tubers, uh, potatoes, and and rutabagas and kohlrabi, things that the average American doesn't eat, parsnips and turnips, and then grains and and beans, beans of all varieties. Uh, The people had an enormous variety of foods and mainly started their day with a liquid and uh, then built to one principal meal a day. Now, whether a person took that meal in the middle afternoon or early evening, but my own studies have shown that caloric restriction does work. In fact, prior to Dr. Roy Woolford, seven years prior to his work as the research director of the Institute of Applied Biology on anti-aging research, I'd conducted a number of studies with up to three thousand rats, showing that those rats that I restricted their calories lived up to twenty six percent longer when I added in a challenging environment so that they weren't in the little cages but out and running around having to search for their food. They lived thirty over thirty percent longer. And when I added in a lot of nutrients, I didn't give them water. I gave them fresh-made organic juices. They lived longer still. So the combination of organic, clean food, and um, exercising in an open environment, which was de-stressing and very compatible to their life, and restricting overall calories, caused them to live an ideal life. And having been around these animals and not being a vivisectionist, being an anti-vivisectionist, I was able to take animals that were to be used in chemotherapy and radiation experiments but had failed and were going to be snuffed out or killed because the different chemicals that were being used to heal their wounds from radiation burns were not succeeding. I was able to reverse the burns, get them to their health, and then put them in studies. So this is something I have some knowledge on and there's more than 114 major peer review studies showing caloric restriction <clears throat> it's not a fad it does work on the other side of that equation however is I took a group of 500 individuals who've been chronically overweight they tried every diet the South Beach the Atkins the uh, low carb low fat and none of these have been able to sustain and I absolutely agree with you I think it's a very salient point where you say that there is no common diet now that can both re- reduce weight sustain it and create health and I don't believe that reducing weight is the issue. Getting a body healthy is the issue and lessening the burden upon the cells, especially things that are pro-inflammatory. Well, a healthy diet should be anti-inflammatory. So that air there goes meat. Meat by itself creates heterocyclic amines, and any form of refined carbohydrate creates acrylamides. Both of those are highly antagonistic to the normal uh, pH levels within the cells and cause the cells to react as if they're being attacked. So by turning off inflammatory cytokines, tumor necrosis factor alpha, and in effect using items within the diet like flaxseed or avocados, walnuts, which are incredibly anti-inflammatory, people no longer had the stiffness in the joints. I told them they could eat as much as they wanted, providing that the only thing they could eat was healthy foods, and they had to juice, mainly vegetable juices, and they had to exercise, and they had to de-stress. Well, the combination allowed them to consume upwards of 7,000 calories a day, and they lost weight. Because one of the things I have determined is that we are hyper-allergenic to many of the foods we consume. Now, one of the reasons most Americans, as you suggested, gets very tired after having their lunch is not because of the time of day they're eating, They're in an anabolic state from 4 in the morning until uh, approximately uh, 2.30 in the afternoon. Then they shift into a catabolic state. And the lead author on anabolism and catabolism, which I've been using successfully for my entire career, is Dr. Emanuele Rivici, a doctor who worked up until the day he died at age 103. And and I had the pleasure of working with him at the Institute for over 30 years. In any case... When you're eating foods you're allergic to, and these are common allergens, wheat, and like a sandwich, dairy and yogurt, or some other item, uh, corn, which is ubiquitous within our our food chain, uh, simple sugars, and caffeine, all of which are highly allergenic, and that directly impacts metabolism. Now, when I went to Italy, I noticed something interesting. The people in the city were always taking naps after their main meal. The people in the country were not. And so I then started what would be a multi-years project of examining so many diets in the city, in the suburbs, and in the country. And what I found was the primary difference was that the people in the cities were not holding to the traditional diet. They were eating processed foods. The people in the country were harvesting wheat And then making their own pasta. If you go into anyone's home in the country, most people, you would find homemade wine, naturally fermented, low alcohol, but very rich in proanthysatidins. And also you would find, um, um, oh, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 different types of pastas hanging over racks. Now that whole grain, whole fiber, whole food pasta was stone ground. They still pride themselves in grinding their own uh, flour. When you're grinding your own flour, you're not removing the endosperm and the essential nutrients necessary for that to be properly metabolized. Now, I'm allergic to wheat. I have a fixed allergy. I don't care how often I have it, I'm going to find myself going into a brain fog and becoming very tired. However, not once did I find that to be the case in the country, but it certainly was the case in the suburbs and in the city unless it was a restaurant that prided itself on traditional homemade pastas. And then you would see that there was a difference. Like a homemade sauce tastes completely different, but it takes hours to make. It is not a quick process. The garlic is golden. It's never burnt. uh, The sauces are all made fresh. And so the freshness at the low temperature ensures that enzymes are maintained, and those enzymes become the catalysts of life for that that plant. Also, uh, you actually increase the bioavailability of various nutrients like lutein and lycopene are enhanced when they come from cooked tomatoes rather than from raw tomatoes. So the heating process, if it's at low heat, is actually liberating uh, versus some of the higher heat which is destructive, especially to the antioxidants but also to some of the phytochemicals. Now so that is why you see very little obesity in the countryside. They eat, um, they eat heartily. I've never seen any of them counting calories, but not once. in all my trips to Italy and all my villages visited and all the people I've eaten with, not even in the nunnery and at the top of the hill in Rome, did they finish a meal with a piece of cake and ice cream. They finished with a piece of fruit. And that is Crucial. So the, the concept of those that adhere to the older, more established diet and eating the smallest meal in the evening, generally late evening, the larger one earlier in the day, and then they'll eat and they don't go to nap, but they, uh, they go back to work in, in the countryside. Now, when you've interviewed hundreds and thousands of individuals as I have, When in the cities and the countries in France and Belgium and England and Ireland and Scotland and Wales and and Spain and everywhere, uh, I've logged tens of thousands of hours working with people. Both as a scientist, Uh, I have a Ph.D. in human nutrition and public health science, and a professor in advanced sciences in Fairleigh Dickinson, uh, and as well as an Institute of Applied Biology research fellow. My concern is. Not what the textbooks tell me, but what my own empirical evidence suggests. And then can I duplicate that? And indeed, the studies show that what I saw was duplicatable. If you leave out exercise, you've got a negative. If you leave out cleanliness of food, you've got a negative. If you have processed foods, you've got a negative. If you take a healthy food and overcook it, you've got a negative. If you take out a healthy attitude about your life, you've got a negative. If you take, uh, take the toxic environment, you've got a negative. A toxic relationship, you have a negative. An attitude that is uncertain, depressed, or, uh, or selfish, you have a negative. And I find that it's a combination of two factors. Eliminate the negative and enhance the positive. If one won't work over the other. You'll see some improvement, but not sustainable hence some of the sickest people i've ever met shop in health food stores some of the most lonely angry people go to yoga some of the most uh... hostile and and uh... intrepid individuals uh... hang out in spiritual retreats and uh, because these are people in search of a life and you can't find it in a belief system unfortunately so yeah ha- i pull back and look at all of this and then i say all right will it work well today Tens of thousands of individuals I've worked with in support groups and counseling, over 60,000 all told, are healthy and happy. You cannot be healthy if you're not happy. That's a part of the equation. And so all this I now see I have to include not just in the calories or what time specifically someone eats, but overburdening the body, not having enthusiasm for life, allowing the metabolism to get out of balance, and I just finished a major study on menopause and andropause, all makes a difference. And so I would certainly agree and concur with many of the statements you have, and, and I'll give you an opportunity for some final thoughts. Go ahead, please.
1: First of all, it's a brilliant overview. I really enjoy listening to you right now. and I have no disagreement with you, with virtually all the elements that you mentioned. And in fact, I find it still controversial when I say and ask people to go lower of, of, to to the bottom of the food chain, mentioning raw fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds, raw nuts and seeds, it's very important to understand there's a difference between raw and roasted. And um, everything that comes from the earth is basically good for you. Uh, it sounds absurdly, Gary, as a controversial statement today. The main problem at least that I'm facing right now with people who follow my diets, is that there is a transition time. We live in the 21st century when people, I have to say it and I hate to say it, were corrupted since childhood. They were taught to believe that some processed food are actually healthy. And many of them did not even grow to appreciate subtaste of vegetables and fruits. So we live in a society that not everybody, but in general term, taste has been corrupted, bad healthy habits, and they feel very attached to what they have been taught is good for them. And um, it takes time to really trans- help people trans- uh, move themselves from the phase that they are now to the phase that you are describing. What I'm trying to say that I believe that in today's world it's important to make things simple, and I really appreciate what you say, but I still believe that by shifting meals toward later in the day, where it's a supper, which is late afternoon, or afternoon, or evening, uh, or sometimes at night even. But having one main meal a day make it very simple to understand that the rest of the meal is supposed to be more raw, more light, including liquids in the morning.
0: Well, I think that's uh, very important. Uh, yeah. Or I believe that y- you know. The, um, where do you live at? Out in Woodlands, yeah. California.
1: In California.
0: At some point, if you get to New York um, or Florida, I'd like for you to drop by, and. Sure. Uh, I'd like to show you some of the some of the examples because we actually film people from beginning to end and it generally takes a minimum of 6 months to a year not because diet is difficult that's not the hard part deconditioning a highly conditioned mind is the problem correct correct and and kids today have no concept of what food tastes like unless their parents are wise enough to have a uh, home garden or go to the farmer's market or food co-op or an organic store, and also to get off the television at night, get off the computer at night. Those electromagnetic pulses when you got a cell phone to your head and you're watching a computer can adversely affect the immune system, the circadian rhythms, and also adversely affect pineal gland activity for melatonin, which in turn adversely affects behavior, which can affect appetite.
1: I cannot agree with you more. I think the one nervous system that has been attacked most is the sympathetic nervous system today. There is evidence that these chemicals are shuttering our ability um, basically to regulate healthy, normal rhythm of neurotransmitters and it affects our gonadal system and children not just have it since they are born, in fact there is evidence that some of these chemicals that penetrate the human, uh, the, the breast milk can be transferred to the fetus and already impair its ability to regulate a healthy and normal lifestyle. There is evidence today, at least researchers speculate, that even obesity can be determined not by what the child is eating, but what the parents ate while he was conceived. It's very or while the mother was lactating. It is a very interesting phenomenon to understand that we are responsible for each other and we are definitely responsible for our children not by just teaching them what to eat, but by being a good example of how things should be. And I can't agree with you more about the freshness of food and the importance of not just cooking for yourself, preparing food for yourself, but if you can and you have a house, start to be self-sustained. See how you plant a seed and grow and treat it like your own baby, you know. Uh, understand the vegetable, it will force you, it's almost like a zen. Once you grow a tomato, it will force you to understand what it is and respect what you put on your table. Don't take for granted what you just pick up on the supermarket. I don't say that you have to do it. but It's going to be beneficial for you because food is something which is essential to our life. It has color and texture and history and a story, like you say, cleverly. Amazing story of nutrients. There is a wisdom of nature that we cannot surpass. All the research in the world is just about science. And uh, science is about prediction. And life is about surprise. And what we are doing is we have to deal with both, Gary. We have to deal with the element prediction and surprise.
0: I agree. Look, I just, before this broadcast, I just went over and picked a papaya. I picked it because by tomorrow the birds will start pecking it on that one single papaya tree which is about eight feet tall there are 91 other papaya and beside it there are four other trees because when a papaya falls to the ground uh the seeds splatter and uh, it reseeds itself papaya is very easy and i must have maybe 20 papaya trees but i uh, yeah, I have over I have a certified organic garden, uh, and I have over a hundred types of lettuce, twenty types of sprouts, forty-seven different types of fruit, growing twelve months a year. So at any given time, I have four times this year that I got figs off the same trees four times, cherries three times, blackberries or mulberries twice. And, uh, and I was able to keep oranges, grapefruit, and 22 different types of citrus for six months. It was ready in December. The last one I harvested was in July. Actually, one tree still had tree, uh, fruit in September, which was still good. I just wanted to see how long will fruit stay on a tree if you don't pick it off. Do you know you can put carrots in the ground for over 14 months and still pull them out? They're still good. So even how we harvest things, there, there's a movie called East of Eden. Did you ever see it?
1: Yes.
0: It, it, James Dean and, and, right, just one, right, right, and Natalie yes. Wood, one of the greatest films ever produced. Yes, yes, yes. Well, in that there is a scene where the uh, where the the, the patriarch, played by Raymond Massey, harvests all of his lettuce and puts it in a uh, boxcars, a train, and with ice. And then uh, he thinks he's, you know, he's, he's done the good deed. But then it, there's an avalanche and uh, the train can't get through. And by the time they get there, all the ice is melting and the lettuce is gone. And, and that stuck in my mind. And I thought at the time, as a kid when I saw that movie, why didn't he just harvest a little bit of lettuce? And we're used in our society to harvest everything all at once. I mean, all the oranges in California will be harvested within a three-week period. All the grapefruit, all the lettuce, and then they immediately either plant something else, depending upon the soil and the climate and the zone, or they uh, let it be uh, fallow, or they'll put a green manure, like a soybean, on there to bury it in. But I want to see how long will lettuce last. So I took a four-by-four square, and I dug down four feet, Uh, Five feet. I dug down five feet, and I put in some insulation material. You know the insulation board? It's about two feet thick, and it's light, and it's got the aluminum on the inside, outside to protect it. I I made a box in the ground. Just visualize a four-foot hole, uh, a five-foot hole uh, with insulation material around it. Then I put beautiful soil, sand, soil, sand, soil, and then I put a lid on the top of it, and I put a light bulb in there, a simple 100... A uh, watt light bulb. I then planted a red tip lettuce, and I, I what is called broadcasting it. Instead of putting one seed in the ground after another, I simply broadcast all this, and then move my hands over the seeds so there was just soil covering the seeds. Within four weeks, I had a full, full, full. I mean, just abundantly full lettuce. I then would pick the outer leaves, one or two outer leaves of each plant which were all growing intensely together each day. And so I'd have a gigantic salad every day. Fourteen months later, I'm still eating from the same salad. As long as you don't harvest the whole head, you can pick the outer leaves and they grow back. I didn't know that. Did you know that?
1: I, I party knew that because my wife is a chef and we are doing in a small version of what you're doing a very self-sustained house. We call okay, so, that we eat.
0: But uh, who knew?
1: Pick, yeah, she right. used to pick on vegetables like parsley or cilantro and everything. They keep growing forever.
0: Yeah, if you pick the outer leaves and you cut the main, uh, the main one going through it doesn't bolt. When a yes. product bolts, it turns bitter. So by keeping the leaves picked, the energy went into replacing them. So as the energy went replacing them, I probably harvested around 1,000 pounds all toll out of that one single little four-foot-by-four-foot frame. Uh, Then I did it it in New Jersey. I I did Organic Garden upstate New York, which supplied all the health food stores and restaurants for a couple years in New York. And now I'm doing it here, showing you can grow in the hottest part of the summer. You can grow everything if you know what you're doing. You can have fruits 12 months a year. Something's always growing. You don't have to pick an orange off a tree. I didn't and I photographed it and timed it. And I they were ripened uh, they were ripe in December and I was still harvesting in September. Well, I don't care how you cut it, that's nine to ten months, and that breaks this idea, oh harvest it all and ship it. And instead, sustainability is stagger your plantings. So every day something else is ready. And so we just have to have a new mindset. About everything that we're doing with a greater consciousness, and and stop reading the old books because the old books are all wrong. It's from an old paradigm, or you know, it's like reading about the cons and assuming you're going to have more humanistic values. So, Ori, I thank you for being on and your good My work, pleasure. and 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 all the best with your uh, new diet uh, book, the Warrior Diet, and then the newer one, which is just out, which is the anti-estrogenic diet. Do you have a website?
1: Yes. Um People can go to warriordiet.com to get more information or antiestrogenicdiet.com. The books are available in bookstores starting next week, The Warrior Diet, but they're already available in Amazon. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Gary. I really enjoyed this conversation and your stories are absolutely eye-opening.
0: All the best to you, Ari.
1: Same to you.